Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, kids. Uh, welcome to the old show. Uh, I am me. You are you. Thanks for being here. It is just a game to start a, a, what is a very important week in the National Hockey League and a very important week in the sports calendar uh, around these parts. And we certainly will be digging in uh, with uh, both hands uh, into the meat of the order. Uh, by the way, most of the Flames Nation has now departed and on the way to Nashville. Uh, the barn burner will go tomorrow uh, as well. Daily faceoff is down there. So the Nation Network, uh, Flames Nation Network, will have uh, incredible coverage of whatever and might happen in the next little while. And stuff will happen. Uh, welcome. We are an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome and everybody's loved here. We are an ally for you and those around you. Uh, as well, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory today. So glad you could be with us uh, on this program. We we find ourselves kind of in, in caught up in that uh, nowhere land of technology, uh, if you will. We're, we're both uh, podcast and live stream today, as we always are. But in our nature, uh, we are going to sit down and, and chat with the... Uh, with the uh, man responsible for, quite honestly, the commissioner and co-founder of the Canadian Elite Basketball League and former two-time Grey Cup champion Mike Morreale. He's going to join us. And we've been planning this conversation for a long time, and I look forward to it. And that's the podcast part of this. The live part of this is the the, the NHL's thumping. Uh, if you're a rumor person or you're a person that's uh, like many I bumped into this weekend or got texts from or got phone calls from, um, you're trying to figure out if the sky is going to, uh, if the sky, you know, is falling, if the sun will come up tomorrow, uh, all of these sort of things. We can tell you um, that as we were coming on the air, and this will be somewhat ridiculous later on when you're listening to this in podcast form, we do know that Taylor Hall is now joining his sixth club. Um, he is going to Chicago. Um, not necessarily surprising that the uh, Bruins want to open up some cap space there. $6 million hit this year, $6 million hit next year. Um, I will just leave it at that because sometimes the, the, there's more, you know, intricacies than just that. Uh, still waiting to hear what the return is. Still waiting to see if Taylor Hall stays in Chicago. Uh, of course, we know that, uh, you know, that uh, with the first overall pick, we know who Chicago's getting. We know what Chicago's in, a full-on rebuild. I'm not sure that 
you know, Taylor Hall is necessarily a player for that, but, you know, maybe you hold on to him until the trade deadline and you flip him for more. I don't know. Um, we're still waiting on the, uh, the details of that one. Um, lots of, lots of smoke, lots and lots and lots of smoke. Um, the Calgary flames remain, uh, somewhat of an enigma wrapped in a riddle, uh, all eyes now on Michael Backlund, who was drafted, uh, 24th overall back in, in 2007. Um, he appears to be, yes, Jack, you got Nick details. Felino is also going to Chicago. Oh, Nick Felino and Taylor Hall. Correct. Yes. Wow. So there, do you know how much salary that opens up then? What's Felino at? Uh, Because that'll open up a little bit more for them there. So Nick Felino and, and I'm assuming a sweetener. Like I would, I would assume there would be. So, oh, he's a UFA. He is a UFA. Okay. So I don't. Now they get the negotiation rights. Comes off the cap, I guess, for the next couple of days. The big, and I'll go back to the piece I was just saying. The, the big piece is now on Michael Backlund. I know Luke Fox over at Sportsnet wrote a big piece with him yesterday. Backlund in Nashville tonight. Uh, he is one of three finalists for the King Clancy Award. Um, I, I, you know, you can have a favorite for the heart. You can have a favorite for the Vesna. You can have a favorite for the Norris. Uh, when it comes to things like the King Clancy Award and, and work on and off the ice, it's pretty hard to pick a favorite. I, I hope that that Michael Backlund wins this award up against, I believe, Anders Lee and, and Darnell Nurse of Edmonton. So, um, you know, both of those guys doing yeoman work and service in their community too. Uh, but he also, it, it, you know, it's funny, last Friday, um, you know, I'm led to believe that, you know, uh, Backlund is just waiting to see what's happening. Uh, we heard um, rumblings that the Flames have offered him the captaincy or have had that conversation with him. Uh, but depending on who you listen to today, everybody's leaving Calgary today. Um, I do I do find it a little funny that uh, some of the on-air hosts get all fired up and then the insiders come on and go, well, wait a minute, that's not exactly what I said. Uh, if you, the guy I probably trust at the top of the list and, and for no other reason is just because I've known him the longest is Elliot Friedman. And Friedman's, if you heard Friedge today, he was saying that Lindholm has not made up his mind. He has uh, an offer from Calgary. I believe Lindholm's um, future is probably um, going to do something with uh, Backlund's future too. Uh, Hannafin seems to be the one that everybody is generally on on board with, that Hannafin will um, depart, does not want to sign an extension, would rather play in the United States. Um, And we've seen that movie before. I think um, the other one is Tyler Toffoli. And uh, we heard last week that Tyler Toffoli wanted out. I guess we'll see. Um, It's, I don't know. There's a a set your hair on fire component to this. Um, Certainly in the way that uh, Frank Saravelli reported it last week, there's a, a, you know, all in one file swoop sort of thing. Uh, Having said that, I'm not sure if last summer was more important, bigger, you know, this summer is different. I, I don't know if you can rank one above the other, but, you know, losing Matt Kachuk, who's, I believe, one of the finalists for the Hart Trophy, won't win it. That's McDavid's trophy for as long as he wants it. Um, but, you know, Johnny Gaudreau leaving and and the panic that ensued there. And then this year you're out a general manager, then you, lose, then you get rid of your coach, you bring in a new general manager, bring in a new coach, bring in a new staff, and you underachieve – extraordinarily during the regular season to a point where you were 
actually a, a point better than the team that made it to the Stanley Cup final, if that matters. I don't know if it matters at all. Um, and now you've got guys that want out. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I am have done this now for 20-odd years. Um, the setting my hair on fire doesn't, I don't know. Uh, last summer was probably as close as I've seen it. Uh, those three or four days between the exits of Kachuk and Goudreau and this franchise just seemed doomed. This organization seemed doomed. I didn't, you know, they may never sell a ticket again. And then they, you know, they go out and they pull off the Huberto Uyghur trade or, or pardon me, the uh, Goudreau trade and, and having to move Kachuk one begets the other. And then, you know, they get a big package back. They get Kadri back this year. It's, it feels different. Um, but if you've got a whole bunch of people jumping off of a ship that really didn't overachieve or achieve correctly this year, I don't know. I'm very curious, very curious to see what Craig Conroy does in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to leave the NHL. We will monitor, obviously, the show. We do have the full trade. Oh, we have the full trade. Okay, thank you. Okay, so if we can go to the full trade. We've been waiting on trades, and we got one today. So the rights to Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula and the rights to Nick Foligno and Taylor Hall. No salary retained by Boston. Pure salary dump, $6 million off the, the uh, books. Okay. So Boston gets what they want, right? Now it's just, what do you do with Hall? Is Hall, you know, s- somewhat attractive to somebody else at $6 million? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and clearly Chicago would be in that. I do not know what their current uh, state is and how many contracts they're holding. But my belief would be they probably have the ability to retain some salary. Yeah, for sure. Right? I think he plays out the first half of the year at least. There, And then move him at the deadline yeah. and get something for him? Yeah. He, he's a good soldier. Like, you know, he he did some time in Buffalo and, and got them through. He's done some time in New Jersey and got them through. Um you know, he was really, I thought, very valuable for Boston in the role that he was. But the Bruins are another team that um, have to f- free up space. They've got some goaltend. I mean, they got to sign Jeremy Swayman. They've got some other contracts that they have to do. I would doubt very much that Don Sweeney is done. I would doubt very much that Don Sweeney is done. And I don't know if this is going to – do you think this leads, Jack? To, I don't think this is a domino thing. I think there's a lot of things Try. I mean – Philadelphia is stuck right now. Yeah. Depending on who you listen to, they're either still trying to get two deals done, one with St. Louis and one with Carolina, or maybe they've given up on them. We know that Winnipeg is, is doing things. We know that uh, Calgary wants to do things. Toronto wants to do things. I I don't think this is the the start of the dominoes falling, but it's a trade, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll watch that one probably in a little more of an hour. We'll have a little bit more detail on it. A couple things worth noting as we uh, await our guest um, that are going to fly a little bit under the radar. Uh, one rather significant story out of, um, well, Rick Westhead, again, breaking it for TSN. Uh, but Jason DeVos, who's the interim um, uh, leader, or one of the interim leaders, uh, uh, general secretary for Soccer Canada, has admitted openly that they are now looking at... Um, what bankruptcy might look like. It's quite possible that the, both the men's national team and the women's national teams will forego their uh, schedule break or won't play internationally. That's what I meant to say. 
the break that comes in the schedule to play international friendlies. Looks like neither will play in the fall. Um, this is, of course, the story that we had talked about earlier in the summer. It has a lot to do with how uh, uh, the government had stepped in and put pressure upon Soccer Canada, uh, has asked for their contracts. We know that the Canadian Professional League holds their media rights. Um, it, it is an entwined... We, we had a, a potential strike on our hands with the women's national team. Um, we had John Herdman last week out, you know, calling out Soccer Canada for not spending money. Um, it's worse. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. And it's getting worse by the day. Uh, for those of you who are of the same age as me, you will remember um, that after uh, Nagano, when... Uh, Canada failed to win gold at the Winter Olympics with the NHLers back in the, you know, they wouldn't 2020 or 20, 2002, uh, 2002 is what I meant to say. Math is really difficult sometimes. But 1998, big loss over in Nagano, and we all went nuts and we had an open ice summit. And a lot was, you know, a lot of hockey's next decade or so was set out. In that summit, uh, it was a much ballyhooed conference that brought together the who's who, the thinkers, the movers, the shakers. Um, Hockey Canada is doing another one of those this fall. I would describe it more as a cultural summit as they're going to bring uh, into Calgary uh, the Beyond the Boards Summit. So very curious, as we know, um, Hockey Canada blew it up for all intents and purposes this past uh, winter um, and have been dealing with the fallout and the consequences ever since. Um, and now uh, we're going to have the Beyond the Boards Summit. Uh, lots of people that I trust, lots of people that I like have been tweeting about this and posting about this today, and I will defer to them always. Um, but I am very, very, very curious to see who's at the table in this. Um, if it's the same old, same old, um, we have given the keys over to the high-end leagues and the high-performance people, and they have driven it off the road. My hope is that some new voices, some fresh voices, some fresh thinking, um, and really um, kind of a stiff arm to the revenue generation that that hockey has become. Um, the spring leagues and the rebel leagues and the equipment issues and things like this have, have really, revenue generation has really taken over the game. So I, I'm hoping that we're going to get some uh, fresh voices and fresh faces in the room. Reminder, we are live from the Oodle Noodle studio. We're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community. And there's two locations in Calgary, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street in Airdrie. Both locations have pickup and delivery. We are about halfway through the Canadian Elite Basketball League season, which is more important this year than ever in Calgary because we've got a horse in the race. And that horse is currently sitting second in the West, the Calgary Surge coming off a win yesterday on the uh, West Coast. Uh, amazing when you look halfway through the league that the Eastern Conference, every single team has five wins. Four of the five have five losses. One team has six. It is thick through the middle as we welcome in our next guest brought to you by ski seller snowboard kate closed up for the next month everybody's taking a break but they're going to be back late august early september again ski snowboard.com check out the website winter will return 
indeed a pleasure for us uh, to welcome in the commissioner, co-founder of the CEBL, also spent 12 years in the CFL, most outstanding Canadian and a couple of great cups tossed in there, spent some time with the CFLPA, and he's kind enough to join us today. Mike Morreale is our guest. Mr. Morreale, how do we find you today? I'm doing well, Mr. Kerr. Thanks so much. I'm doing well. A little rainy here. I'm working from home today, so uh, this is a nice little uh, chance to think about and uh, talk about sports, you know, during the day. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And, and I'm sure you're like me and you get, you wait for opportunities like this <laughs> halfway through the league. And I mentioned the standings um, from a competitive balance standpoint, you have to have a smile on your face. Don't you? I, I, I do. Uh, and I, I made a post earlier today, I retweeted one looking at the, the, we got the West up there now, but looking at the East standings and going, Oh my goodness, we <laughs> have some funny math to do as you take a look at them right there. But this is exactly what, you know, we hope for. When we uh, designed this league, created this league going back six or seven years ago, the idea was to create a single entity model. And what that model allowed was, you know, high brand standards, consistent brand standards, but also consistency on the on the player side, on what happened on the court as well. And we're seeing it kind of play out before our eyes right now, which is fantastic. It's been a tremendous start to the year. Um, you know, I'm curious, now I'm turning into the interviewer, I'm curious how, you know, pro basketball and CBL basketball, how that's been in uh, Calgary for you guys, because it's new to you, right? It's old yeah. to me, but it's new to you. Yeah, and, and I would answer it this way. Um, first of all, uh, the end, you know, the, the FIBA rules at the end, uh, the, you know, the score. It, the target score. Target yeah. score. <laughs> everybody says the same thing. Oh, I didn't think I'd like it. I love it. Love it. Um, you know, we, we've had people come from the station and, and the nation network go down and that, that's what they rave about. You've always got a winner. Yeah. I would say from my vantage point, the thing that's most important to me is I see the merchandise in the community. I right. see kids wearing surge jerseys. I see adults wearing surge hats. I was at a, a CPL game with the cavalry on the weekend and I saw surge merchandise. So wow. to me, I'm seeing the little things that lead me to believe there's adoption. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, there's a lot of positivity to it. Um, you know, how much it can grow, we're about to find out, but really excited about the early, um, you know, the kind of the early adoption of this team. And, and I would say almost by design ownership, didn't go out and buy a lot of billboards, didn't do a lot of television and radio, you know, traditional media buys built it on the word of mouth. And, and it's been pretty exciting so far. That's my observation. Yeah, and, and I echo that. And uh, you know, Usman and Jason and, and the whole team and in, in the sur at the surge have done a really job making it very organic, very natural. I know you and I have talked spoken about that yep. uh, in my visits to Calgary, but we see that in all the all of our markets, right? The idea, even if you go back to the very beginning, was to not to go and ask for a handout. This was going to be let let us come there, you know, give us a good deal on the venue, the best deal you mm -hmm. can you can give us, and we'll prove to you that we've we're we've created something here that the community will follow and and we will in turn give back to the community and and show high level basketball very high level basketball yep. but very, also very high level entertainment so all those things are are paying off organically which leads me to believe that you know once it becomes more mainstream uh, which is just like any new league has to grow to become mainstream we've already got a really good foundation not just in calgary but across the league as well which is a great footprint to build from so what is mainstream as, as you would define mainstream what are you looking for 
Well, you know, I, I always like to refer to us as the CFL of basketball and, and, you know, people, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also, I got to pay homage to the league that has been here for 110 some odd years. Mm -hmm. They were up until the CPL and us started, you know, five years ago, officially on court uh, or on the, on the pitch there was only one domestic league in this country and it's yep. the CFL and you have to learn from it. Everybody who's either involved or most of the people involved in the CBL or the CPL at some way, shape or form had, you know, ties to the CFL. So when I say the CFL of basketball, I'm really paying homage to the fact that that league's been around for a long, long time. That does mm -hmm. a lot of really good things. One is the Canadiana uh, and the other is the community engagement and activation and, and belonging to the community and the fan bases that are created. So if we can mimic the growth of the CFL, we, we operate differently and we've had the luxury of being able to start from scratch. So we've been able to build our league in a way that we can scale properly uh, and are prepared to scale. But if we can get into that mainstream, meaning if we can be on broadcast television more often than we are, mm -hmm. if we can be on the linear channel as, as many times as possible, if that is the place to be at a point in time, because that could change, right, as, as things continue to grow. But if we're talked about uh, in in mainstream markets and media and the, the big, you know, uh, Canadian press and, and everyone else tied to, you know, what makes sports tick and how you get your relevant information, yep. then I feel like we, we're hitting our stride. Now, having said that, if I ask people outside of Canada, if they know about the CBL or what they've heard about the CBL, those that have, they will praise us for our level of play, our quality of play, and the way the league is run. In Canada, because this is very much a Canadian thing, it's almost like we got to continue to claw and fight and scratch to get there. But that's okay, because yeah. that actually makes us a better league and better teams and better operators by really continuing to work and not resting on our laurels. So with a little exposure to the NLL, I know that at times box lacrosse has talked about possibly expanding the schedule and how much they could expand the schedule. And I'm not holding you to anything, Mike, but is it possible that this league could expand its schedule or because of the nature of where your players come from, are you kind of capped out where you're at? I think we found ourselves a really good space and time that we okay. can not, not own the airwaves, so to speak, but we have access to the best players. So that could change. But a change to a more traditional schedule still means that we're fighting for venue space, mm -hmm. um, which, again, long term, I'd love to have purpose built venues. And that may solve a lot of these problems. But for yep. the most part, we're playing in hockey arenas um, in major cities that are in, in a traditional basketball months or, you know, hockey first. And, you know, we're competing against, you know, those buyers and those sponsors and those uh, media opportunities. So it doesn't necessarily make sense and it doesn't give us access to the best players unless of course we were really going to expand our salary cap. And then, you know, we would have to make sure that that yeah. could actually work. And I'm not sure it could at this point in time, but, but I still want to continue to build on what we do and how we can do more things within that time period and maybe extend and stretch a little bit on one end mm -hmm. um, without losing kind of our players back to overseas. But, what we've noticed is more recently is initially it was a bunch of players that had to go back overseas. And now we're getting a lot more G league players that really have time up until October ish. So it may allow us to, to buy a little bit more time at the end. And, and which 
is a long way for me to get to is the biggest challenge your league face is not having the players in in market for nine months out of the year. Yeah. 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 And, and there are now that we've gone and we've been able to bring in more local owners and private owners, what we've noticed is that they want to invest in their people. And if they're able to keep players around Mm -hmm. um, and you'll likely not be able to keep the best of the best because they're going to want to play basketball and you don't want to pull them away from, from bouncing a ball and, and making a living. But you may be able to retain, you know, some uh, U Sports players that are local. You may be able to retain those players that are now trying to look at their next career path and give them and still provide them access to the community and, and part of the, you know, what we do the other eight, nine months of the year and continue that 12-month of year business. So I, I think you'll see more of that. But yes, it is a thing where, you know, our players, the reason we're able to function the way we are is because our players play eight months somewhere else. It affords us the opportunity to bring them back home, um, not compete directly with the salaries of overseas, which are pretty substantial for some players, mm-hmm. and to have these guys with their name on the back of their jersey in their market, in their country, in their hometown, to help them build for life after basketball. Mike, the, the, if I understand correctly, the, the league started as the, the teams were owned centrally. Right. And yep. now you have moved and branched into individual ownership. Was that always the plan or what led to that? That was always the plan. So okay. um, we started with six teams in 2019. We tipped off. We added Ottawa in 2020, which was our bubble year. The first COVID kind of uh, yep. situation stayed with seven into 2021 and then expanded uh, up to 10 teams, added added Scarborough into the mix, but still had nine of those 10 teams really owned by the one initial owner. Mm-hmm. So since September of this year, we've brought on, you know, four new ownership groups. So now there are six owners amongst 10 teams. Uh, there's four teams that are still, uh, I, I'm not going to say oh, up for sale, like th- they're positioned to be sold if the right group or right uh, individuals come, come along. Yep. But they're also you know, efficient in terms of where they can last for, for a while. It's not a, we're certainly not looking to wholesale anything, but we are looking for individuals in certain key markets to help us continue to grow the game because every team owner is also an equity shareholder in the league. And that's important to us because it is a league first mentality here. We have to make sure the league is strong, that we don't have the, you know, uh, unequal uh, look at the standings on a regular basis, that there is true parity and everybody's playing on a level playing field. You are also co-founder of this. So at some point, somebody, you came up with the idea or somebody came to you with the idea? Who Whose brainchild was this? Yes. So it, me personally, I was always wanting to remain involved in pro sport on the business side. And, and obviously in my experience with the CFL on multiple layers, whether it's as a player, as an executive of the player association, president of the player association, broadcaster, you name it. Yeah. I got this well-rounded view of, of domestic sport and certainly the CFL. Um, I befriended a gentleman, Richard Petko in another line of work I was doing. He had owned a team in a rival league that now is, is no longer around. It was just mm-hmm. frustrated with, you know, how do I, he ran a really good outfit, but the league didn't really help him get to where he wanted to go. Yeah. It was his idea to start something new and to play in the time in which we play. And he turned to me knowing my um, history in sport and said, this is my idea. What do you think? Do you think we can make it work or how would you make it work? 
And then truthfully, I just took the learnings of the CFL and my experience with the CFL over you know 20 some odd years and said, this is how I would structure it. And this is the way that we should operate. And this is the rules in which we should play. Now, mind you, this was built and built and built, and we're still building yeah. some factors yeah, yeah. of that today. For sure. But it was his idea, uh, Richard Petko is the gentleman's name, to to try to launch something. And he was the reason I jumped on board is A, I, I had a vested interest in really this was kind of like a crazy opportunity that came out of nowhere. But I also believed why he was doing it. And he was doing it because he believed that he could create a legacy for Canadian basketball and employ you know, young individuals across the country in sport um, where there weren't a lot of opportunities because there weren't mm -hmm. these leagues that were around and that we would basically create this ecosystem within the basketball community and try to mimic what is done in most of the countries all over the world, right? Because we are North American based, we often get pulled into, this is how the U.S. does it. So you got to go to the NCAA. You got to go to the NBA or the G League and you forget about everything else. Well, we realized quite quickly that the FIBA game is the most important game in terms mm -hmm. of what a national team would fight for and, and the rules in which they would play. And truthfully, where the gap was, I think, in Canadian basketball, we were producing tons of, of American based talent in the NCAA and NBA, but we weren't producing a lot of world class talent at that senior men's national team level. How much? did you look at not necessarily just basketball, but the history of what I would call minor pro sports. I mean, you know, we had the Calgary 88s, but we've had indoor soccer and, and many incarnations before we got to the CPL. I mean, the, 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 the it's a checkered history really beyond hockey of, of finding sports, even, you know, baseball's had this weird love hate relationship with this country. What did you look at? Who did you look at? for for guidance or, or as an example of, of success i know you mentioned the cfl but you know as you're going through this path how many of these other leagues th that failed did you did you review all of them <laughs> you know <laughs> and and i heard no of or you're crazy many times sure. not just me so did richard and so did josh yeah. uh Knuster, our coo as we were initially going across the country to various markets that unfortunately had been burned, I guess. It, it may be a, a wrong word in some cases, but have, have been let down by pro basketball in their markets and teams that have come and gone or they were supposed mm -hmm. to come and they only last a little bit of time. And when you peeled back the layers, you started to realize the majority of these, these leagues were US-based. So Canada was just an offshoot and it was just a throw-in. Um, and the Canadian leagues that were attempted or continued didn't really have that strong structure at the league level. Um, they, they were doing what I feel was the most difficult thing to do was trying to compete with hockey in a yeah. traditional time of year. Right. And, and it really comes down to the players more than it comes down to competing with another sport it comes down to, if you want to put the best, uh, group on the court, you need to have access to the best players. Um, so we did that, but from a governance point of view, the MLS was one that we spent a lot of time with. Mm -hmm. Because the MLS started, as as you know, and, and yep. maybe some not everyone knows, as a single entity model, where the majority of the teams were owned by the league or by an individual, and they morphed over time into what they call an investor operator model, which is really what we do. We don't sell franchises, you know, we sell the the rights to a team that you operate, but you're also an investor in the league, mm -hmm. and that's really kind of how we built it. And then from a basketball perspective. Uh, we looked at the NBL Australia. And the NBL Australia, again, a strong domestic league, 
in a country of similar size, similar population. Um, you know, they played in their summertime, which is counter to what, you know, would be normal in basketball. And they had established themselves many years ago and had a, their heydays in the 80s, but then fell off in a, in a pretty drastic way. And then in walked a Ukrainian billionaire, saw that there was something there, bought everything up, ran it as a single entity, invested in broadcast, invested in marquee players, invested in facilities. And then all of a sudden, over the last five, six, seven, eight years, they have started to take off. And in their very well-respected league, they play against NBA teams, they host NBA teams. They've had, uh, that's where LaMelo Ball went to play before he went yep. to the NBA. So they've done a really good job um, kind of starting over. And when I look at their trajectory, I would say at this point, when we started, we were probably five or six years behind them. Right now, I think we're two to three years behind them in terms wow. of where we're going. Um, so that, that to me was really important. And if you hear their story or listen to their story, it parallels ours very much. So it, it kind of is the one basketball entity that we can align with from a distance and, and just try to watch and, and see what they've done. And, and, you know, the funny thing is now I know that other teams and other organizations are doing that to us. They're looking at us and mimicking what we've done, which I think is great because, um, you know, we just, we're just concentrating on doing what we do. You know, if other people want to want to jump on and, and this makes sport in Canada better, more interesting, better run, better visually, then I'm all for it. Does this league happen if Steve Nash doesn't win back-to-back MVPs? I don't. I can't say for certain. That was a major factor, but the biggest one that I could see is the Vince Carter era. Vince okay, Carter. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. that to me is the point in time okay. where the majority of the players that play for us now, that's the fire that was lit for them to play basketball. Yep. The Raptors winning in 2019 mm-hmm. is going to light a fire for the next 30 years. Yep. And that's the really incredible part of it is because what Vince Carter did was incredible. What that winning of a championship did was light that on fire and really exponentially grow that part of it. And, and we're feeling it already. We, we know the trajectory of basketball in Canada is it's very high. And we know that, you know, our ability to enter the scene has in, in some ways kind of galvanized basketball in the country in a good way. And that people are coming together. We're not picking who we want to work with. We're saying, oh, everybody's welcome, and, and let's yep. get let's get the basketball ecosystem put together. So um, Steve Nash was certainly part of it, I think, but Vince Carter was definitely the 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 one that affects us today. Yeah. And what will affect us now into the future is the 2019 championship. And, and you know what? I think it's probably this is just a territorial thing, right? Yeah. Because you know. Yeah, we all knew about Vince Carter, but out here, Steve Nash was That's notorious. Right. Steve Nash and and that, but it it, it seems like it was Bill Wennington, oh, and, yeah. and, and then oh, all yeah. of a sudden, Steve Nash. And now we got you know first Lots. round picks and, and yeah. right, like you know, you can make a case on any given day that Jamal Murray's one of the top five players in, in the world, right? Um, what's the relationship like? What does the relationship need to be like with? Canada basketball and and the development and and you know the grassroots of this game it is very strong so the very first deal in partnership we ever did non-monetary just a relationship was with Canada basketball 
And at this point, we had built out the structure of what we were and where we were going and the rules we were playing and how we were doing it, which is, which is exactly what you see today, minus target score, I guess. Yep. Um, and we approached Canada Basketball, and Glenn Grunwald was the uh, CEO at the time, and, and Glenn and I had a, had a previous relationship, and we respected one another, and we went in and we said, this is what we want to do. And to Glenn's credit, uh, he said, all right. Let's let's do it. Let's do it together. And we because we said to him, Glenn, this is this won't work unless we have buy in from mm -hmm. the National Federation. We want to be the official league. We want to play FIBA rules. We want to clear players through your system. We want to use your officials. We want to partner with you sports and create the developmental police place. Like we want to really grow basketball uh, across everyone not just players coaches but executives and minor table officials and broadcasters and you name it so that relationship started strong it got even stronger when uh, michael bartlett came on as the new ceo a couple of years ago him and i really look at what we're doing similarly and that's the you know how do we get more basketball how do we commercialize the game of basketball so we can have more it can do more it can be yeah. more places um so that relationship is is really good um we also do work on their behalf to help them throw events like the world cup qualifiers or men's mm -hmm. and women's events across the country you know we have the infrastructure to do it so there's a great relationship of back and forth and if you looked at the world cup qualifying team just on the men's side of the 31 players that participated over 20 uh, had ties to the cbl so they know they're going to get a player that is still performing at a high level in their non-traditional months when the NBA is playing and they have tournaments here and there. And, you know, we get access and, or, you know, we get our players to put them on a pedestal and wave the flag and be proud of them. So everybody wins. It, it also, and th this is less of a question, probably a little bit more promotion in the sense that a great opportunity to develop officials, Great opportunity to develop coaches, great opportunity to develop game, you know, scorekeepers. And there is a real opportunity to give a higher end um, product for, you know, the important people that kind of get forgotten in the conversations right. for the rest of basketball in this country. It, it is huge. Uh, it really is. You know, we've seen broadcasters that started in the CBL that are now on major networks. We've seen assistant coaches that are now coaching in the NBA. You know, we've seen players that are now playing in the NBA or, or playing at high levels overseas. And, and we'll likely see management leave and go on. And these are all things we don't see it as a loss. We really see these as gains. Like this mm -hmm. is really the proof uh, as to why we we started this. So I know there'll be more. I mean, I just got some notes today about some other opportunities, some other people within our system that are going to get jobs at the highest level. And that that really just speaks to to what we always intended. And in some ways, we're ahead of the curve, truthfully, of where I thought we'd be at this time. Mike, tell me a little bit about you and your journey. Um, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, you would have come into the league just after American expansion. No, just during during American expansion. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, how much did your CFL time, even as a player, inform you to what you're doing today? Oh, almost all of it. Almost all of it. Um, certainly, from certain perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. The way I approach that my thought process on dealing with situations um, is I'm very much player focused first. I understand the impact that will have on the player, which means I need to recognize that before we make a decision that will potentially negatively impact part of that process. So I'm always cognizant of that and being a player has afforded me that and, and being in again, 
in a in a league that had a ratio and that was proudly Canadian and that was coast to coast. And I understood um, what that side meant. But where I really got the, the lens on the business side is when be, when I became um, VP of marketing for the Players Association and we initiated uh, our kind of, you know, our program, our our marketing piece for players off the field. And mm-hmm. we called that pro players. It was it was mimicked off of Players Inc. and the NFLPA. And yeah. I went and met with uh, everybody at the NFLPA for multiple years and got a really good sense of how they operate. And my first couple of years on the job was really like I was the policeman and saying to the league, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. The collective bargaining says this. And and mm-hmm. at, the collective bargaining was always there, but nobody really enforced it at that level. I kind of did and all for the benefit of the players. And then what happened was the league understood, OK, this is good for everybody. If we if we position the deals and partnership deals this way, we get access to more players. You know, players are the fundamental biggest part of what you're doing. And then I got became president of the Players Association, then was privy to all the financials and served on five different collective bargaining agreements. So I got a really good understanding of the inner workings in both sides. So I can wear many hats now, I feel. Yeah. And uh, but, but the biggest hat I wear, it may not be the best business one, is the player's hat. Yeah. Because in, in the end, the players are our biggest asset. So ensuring that they are comfortable and they're okay and they're taken care of is far more important than saving a nickel here or there and and i will come back to the cebl in a second but do i'm curious about your observation do we look do we have revisionist history about the american expansion experiment because at the time the league needed it really needed it we really needed it and i was a fan since i was five years old so Mm -hmm. i again my time in the in the cfl I'm, i'm very much a historian as i am as a player like i'm very proud this is a big piece for me um you know going back to the COVID situation and what that was like and and the, the them not playing and what that meant to the history of, of the institution which is yeah. the cfl yeah. um so you know the american expansion when we look back albeit it was crazy and insane and very cfl i guess mm-hmm. yes <laughs> no, it's a good way it. of putting it yeah it's very cfl um it was a necessary evil at that time if you really know what the finances of the league looked like at that time it was not good and then you know the nfl came to the rescue for a bit and kind of lent us some money and that lasted for several years and 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 here here the league is now and and i'm not sure you know what it's hard for me to say from 1994 95 ish when we were playing Mm -hmm. all those games in the u.s to 2023 now um what would have happened if that never happened, right? It it was not great because it went against everything that the CFL stood for. Um, and But I think it saved us. And something tells me, and this may not be something people want to hear, is it may take another event of that magnitude to maybe have the CFL continue on, on a trajectory that is greater than what it is today. What do you, well, how do you view future fan development? Because as, as long as I've been around the CFL, that always seems to be the dogged question. At one point is we need a video game, right? right. Like they had EA sports, we need a video game. And then it became fantasy and, and the, you know, everybody's got fantasy. The internet has opened up this whole world. How do you value and, and where do you see future fan development even for your league? Well, I'll start with our league. Um, the one thing we have going for us is that our league is is understood. The, the game of basketball, sorry, is understood by 
majority of the people around the world, uh, mm -hmm. which provides us access, especially in a country like Canada, where immigration policies are at the forefront yep. and all these new people are coming and they want to want entertainment just as much as, as Canadian, you know, domestic yep. Canadians do. Um, so we're capturing more eyeballs and more awareness from fans that maybe don't understand basketball or pardon me, football or hockey. Um, the length of our game is key, right? Being able to get in and out of a game in a couple hours is key. And I think we've noticed that we live in an environment, or certainly our, our children do and youngsters do, where it's instant gratification all the time. So if you're if they're not getting it, or if there's no cool factor, or there's no stickiness, or there's no TikTok post that goes along with this league, or there's no, you know, influencer post, etc., mm -hmm. it's tough to keep traction nowadays. Basketball brings that culturally it's kind of significant the music and art and lifestyle and fashion and entertainment is built into it in the u.s i think the nfl has that and has done a really good job of doing that but i'm not sure the cfl has that level of interest at at that cool level yeah um and and again this is not i i, I this i'm only speaking from what i noticed different right and but a lot of those things are, how do you change that? I, I don't know. You're like, can mm -hmm. you go to a shorter football game? I have no idea if that's even possible. I know they're, they've done things to try to improve the, the scoring and, and so on and so forth. But even the way that people engage with, with it, not just in arena or in the stadium, but at home and access to devices and what you're watching, everything's so consumable and consumable in short doses that sports that tend to take longer that are, that, you know, don't have the repeated big plays all the time or quickly, it's hard to deliver that message to kids and for them to get engaged. I guess it's the best way for me to answer that. How much institutional thinking do you deal with in, and as a basketball operator, how much, this is the way the game is played. This is the way it's always been played. This is the way it should be played. How much of that institutional, you know, history do you have to navigate? Well, I, that's where that's where I'm blessed to not be a basketball person, per se. Right. Sure. So I, I walk into this situation. It doesn't matter to me what happened before, who doesn't like who, and how mm -hmm. the way this is, you know, target score, for instance. Great. Yep. If I yep. listened to the traditionalist, I, there was not a chance in hell You're we right. would have done target score. It just never would have happened. And yep. if I listened to the coaches and GMs and everyone else year one when we tried it, mm -hmm. you know, initially I, I would have pulled the plug. But you know, we, we got to dare to be a bit different here. We don't yep. want to lose focus of the game and the quality of the game and what's important to the game. But there are changes that need to be made as, you know, the, the fan base changes and what's important to them changes. So, you know, the sport of basketball is pretty, pretty good as is. It's got a Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Great flow to it. Um, if you look at the NBA game, it's great until there's a big you know, point differential. And then in mm-hmm. comes the fouls and all those things that really led to the creation of the target score, the Elam ending. Yeah. Um, so those like selective changes are really important. Fundamental changes you try to stay, but even playing FIBA basketball, right? And choosing to go FIBA instead of going NBA rules yeah. or NCAA rules was a big change. But if you look at why we're playing FIBA and the importance of playing FIBA, not just for the development of the players, but even the fact that it's eight minutes shorter is all part of the strategic thinking that goes against the grain or the institutional way of thinking. How risk tolerant or how risk adverse would you, would you consider your league when it comes to new ideas? And, and this one, I, I love talking to people at your level because when I say F1 drive to survive, what goes through your mind? I mean, that incredible, it, incredible. It's, concept. It's, it saved the sport. Yeah. Right. It's a game changer. Abs- game changer. And we're always, you know, the, the problem with sport is now we look to replicate that, but Copycat. Yeah. right. Would, are you in a position that this league with presented something way out there, something different that you could consider it? I hope so. I hope so. You know, and, and I keep coming back to target score. I mean, we're, we're all getting used to target score. That's a fundamental mm-hmm. change to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, to answer your question, I have zero fear, fear of failure. Right. That's just the, the way it cool. is. Now, yeah. the yeah. other owners in the league may have a little more, they may be a little more risk averse to me uh, yeah, yeah. than me. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think risk is, is necessary. Uh, change is incredibly important. Not all change leads to positivity, mm-hmm. right? But change does lead to, to new ideas and, and new ways of looking at it. So I don't want to, I don't want to become hokey in any certain, any stretch of the imagination. I don't want our players to play a game that isn't really fundamentally the game that they grew up playing. I just want to provide opportunities to showcase them in ways right. that makes it more exciting and more entertaining. Well, and, but I think that was the, the kind of the key in F1, right? That they didn't, racing didn't change. It just, it was the presentation. Right. 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 And, and that, you know, is obviously, you know, the million dollar, <laughs> Listen, if I had the idea, I give. Cool. I would have given it to you a couple of weeks ago in Calgary. Um, do you have Adam Silver's number in your in your Rolodex? You know what? You... I, I can I can certainly get it. I know okay. he has okay. it, and he yeah, he works for me, and uh, it has a has a line there. And uh, you know, we've had access to lots of great people, and I'm not afraid to ask questions, and I'm also not afraid to be a bit of a um, a place where new ideas can be tried by others, mm-hmm. right? So I, yes. I'm open to. You know, listen, there's no doubt that when they introduced 
you know, the target score concept to the NBA All-Star game going back three or four years ago, that they didn't, they don't just, the NBA just doesn't try stuff for fun. And then mm-hmm. you kind of see it work. And there's no doubt they watch our league as players go back and forth to, to from the CBL to the NBA. And now we've seen the target score in the G League and in overtime and in uh, their winter classic. And I think you will see it at some point in time in NBA overtime. But, you know, if there are ways in which the game can be watched differently through technology or the game could be played differently through new concepts and ideas that are maybe five years away, but we can be the footprint that it can be worked out now. I'm certainly open to that. I think the G League is kind of that for the NBA, but I also believe that we can be that for for other leagues as well. Yeah, I, I, to me, the the history of, of minor pro sports has always been, you know, what can you do for me, right? How right. can you give us a, a different leg up? And I'm, you know, I'm always curious about that part. Tell me a little bit about any advice or any relationship that you might create my is my understanding is there's a fairly high level women's league that's kind of going on in your backyard um right now in our country and obviously there's a lot of you know uh, dei conversations and gender mm-hmm. equity conversations is there a role for cebl in, in the growth of the women's game absolutely you know my my belief has always been and i've publicly stated this is that from an infrastructure point of view an operational point of view we have that in place what we don't have is a business plan for a women's league or, or the financing set aside for the women's league. And I think that needs to be, I need others to step up and that's yep. Canada basketball who, who wants to, but again, same thing. We need sure. to find some money yep. and we need to find some private backers, no different than uh, Diana Matheson's league in soccer where that, you know, there's been founders or, or partners that have come to the table at the outset to allow them to build that. There can certainly be a women's league in this country um, I think there's ways that we can do it to grow it over time. It doesn't need to start with eight teams or 10 teams. I think there's ways to grow it. The talent is here. I love what's happening. You, you referenced Hoop, Hoop Queens, which is the, the yeah. league that's, that's going yeah. on here in uh, the Toronto area. Uh, and then there is another league out in the East Coast, the MWBA, and I've, I've helped them to some extent just to, from a governance or organizational mm-hmm. perspective, and they've taken off. So it's great that it's being played. And, and I think, you know, at some point you're, you're seeing, if you look at soccer, for instance, I think with the World Cup coming to Canada, that has really been a driving force behind investment in soccer and rightfully so. Yep. And I think, you know, when you start to see the senior men's national team and the women's team in basketball continue to rise to prominence on the World Cup stage, and then in Paris, maybe being an opportunity to medal or come close, that I'm hoping will start to drive more awareness and more dollars to the basketball scene. So, you know, we have to win, right? And this is what Michael Bartlett and I talk about. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. if we can get on that podium and if, the, if we can start winning at the world stage, we're going to see what happened with the Raptors, you know, winning the title, the three million people that showed up and all that all that great stuff that comes with it, but we need to do it first, right? We need to, we need to start winning. And, um, and I know the pieces are in place and, and the investments are being made around the table, but further investment is needed to continue to grow and to mimic what happens all over the world. If we can get just a sliver of, you know, investments in infrastructure and investments in, in cash or investments in whatever that hockey gets to basketball, well, then the sky's the limit. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. uh, and I think it's coming. And a lot of that is politically, you know, decided upon. 
and lobbied upon and uh but the dynamics of, of the country are changing and i think i think there's a space for that in the future how big's your player pool i mean if you how endless. And, pretty well, much sure endless. it's endless yeah. but you you've got a ratio if you were to maintain yep. your current ratio how many you know and i'm not holding you to this but no. how many more teams do you think you could add you know i think to answer the question, how many teams we could have, we could have 20 teams and not have a, a, a reduction in talent, just based on what I know is coming. Okay. Right? Based on the 200 plus, you know, at the NCAA and then college and then U sport. And if you, if you, I know you've said this just in general, but if you watched our Canadian talent, it's hard to tell at times who the Canadians are, who oh. the internationals or the Americans are. The talent right. is, is very Agreed. high. And our youth sport talent is continuing to get better and better and better with Canadian coaching and staying here, which is very encouraging. Yeah. Um, where do I think we'll get to? I think we'll get to 12 and we'll take a bit of a pause mm -hmm. and really, really kind of get our feet under us under us because there's been a lot of growth in a short period of time. And, you know, things are going really well. But I also know we're going to have to make some key investments in certain areas um, in our offseason to make sure that we continue to are able to keep the standard high and even get better and better, not just from a player point of view, but from a staffing and a content and a broadcast and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I would say in the, in the next couple of years, you'll see us at 12. And then from there, it's just going to be selective. You know, I, I think there's room for a third division. I think you can go west, central and east if everything falls into place, but we just have to do it smartly and attract the right groups and the right markets to ensure that we can continue to grow it safely. Right. We don't want to be uh, on a list of leagues that have come and gone. That's not the intention. We want to be here for a long, long time. You know, you've already said you're not risk adverse and, and you know, not much worries you would, are you okay with bringing in a, a multi-team corporation, to come in and ads because they want, you know, they want to keep their ticket staff and their entertainment staff busy for three months. Um, you know, the CFL is a prime example, right? You yeah. had individual owners and then you had, you know, you know, CSEC owns a team and you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Or would you prefer, you know, just single entity owners owners? That that's a great question because there is value in bringing obviously, um, groups or individual you know, groups, in this case, corporations that do this on the regular basis. So there's the MLSEs, the OSEGs, the, the Oilers Entertainment Group, you name it. We all, yep. and we all know who those groups are. Yep. And I believe there's a place for them. I just don't want to um, lose uh, what really has gotten us here and not suggesting it will. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll trend with that carefully. But I also think it's exciting because if you look at what's happened in Winnipeg, and the access to Canada Life Center and being able to play in that facility and what's that that is done from a perception of the sea bears and the ticket sales and sponsorship. It's really raised our ability to become, you know, a, a considered a top, uh, you know, league in, in Canada. Yep. So that comes with relationships with the big guys, right? Yep. And when we started to build the league, I always thought that our league would be a great complement to OHL owners, CHL owners, you know, they're major tenants in the arena or they operate the arena. They got staffing in place, infrastructure in place. They got email lists and, and sponsor lists and all that stuff. And I still believe that to be the case. Mm -hmm. um, when you start taking the level, the next level to the MLSCs and the OSEGs and, and all, then, you know, you, you become part of their um, collective. And I think, 
you know, we built the league in, in a smart way that it be, it's a league first mentality. If we continue to attract individuals, groups, corporations that believe and commit to the league first mentality, then it doesn't matter where they come from. As long as they invest in basketball, we'll be okay. Uh, one last one, then I'll ask you about the rest of the season. And that and the forward-looking question, you said it before, and I've heard it before, that one of the goals is to have a, a specific building built to host a, a CEBL team. Yep. Pipe, is that a dream? Not a pipe dream, but is it a dream? Is it closer to reality than we think? Because that gets my attention. If you're now yep. into a position where you're talking about facilities, that's a different level. That that is a different level. We will see it. It, it is a dream, and it's also becoming a reality. We'll see it in Scarborough. Um, oh, Sam and that's... Nico um, have committed um, to build a facility. They have the land. They have the the green light to do it in Scarborough. Be a five thousand purpose built arena for the team, but also multi purpose to hold other events. And when I say purpose built, I I, I think you know, it, it means it's open to indoor sports, but yeah, made yeah, for yeah. indoor sports, right? Yeah. With a with a court that's centered that has the proper seating arrangement and sight lines and, and everything you need. Um, so I think Scarborough will be a great first step. I will continue to, to lobby, you know, uh, government, municipalities, etc., because not just on the growth of basketball and the growth of the CBL, but just the desperate need for facilities and indoor space. And I think the, the the part we want to play is just to be a sounding board that if there are new facilities built, let's take Calgary, for instance, mm-hmm. if there are new facilities being built, that, you know, if there's secondary facilities or other ways to position, you know, indoor sport, that at least we do it properly at the outset. Yeah. Because I think what we're getting into now in a lot of our facilities is that Oh, it's an afterthought. But mm-hmm. to fix it now is considerably more money, considerably more time, a lot more paperwork. And let's do it right the first time. Yep. So that to me, and we're seeing some new facilities being built. You know, Ottawa's got one, maybe two coming, right? With the OSEG guys doing that. Obviously, Calgary's got new facilities coming. So those are the interesting conversations to be had. If we're going to spend money. Let's spend it once and let's spend it right. For us here in Calgary, we're kind of going through this race for the first time. Um, tell us a little bit about the the playoff structure, and is that something that you can see changing, or is it another strength of the league? Because possibly one playoff game, and then everybody goes to Vancouver, right? Yes. So well, not everybody, but yeah, not everybody. So <laughs> yeah, right now, obviously, this is our first year in a conference model. We're really excited about that because we're going to have conference. Uh, playoff games. They'll start with a play-in game for the fourth seed versus uh, visiting the third winner. Of that game will play in the the East or West Conference semifinal against the second seed. The first seed in each division moves on. In, in the West case, it's it's still a host seed that goes in Calgary. Pardon me, in Vancouver. Um, and there's single elimination games till you get to championship weekend, which is in Vancouver. And then it's the conference finals and championship game. You know, I, I can see it. We've really created this championship weekend event, which is, you know, a destination event for everything mm-hmm. basketball. And it's, it's got all those things that basketball brings and lifestyle and art, culture and food and all the things I've mentioned. Yep. And it really is a festival uh, with awards and, and the games and, and concerts and everything. I don't ever want to lose that festival event. Can that festival event become something else? And can the playoffs 
now that we're in a more consistent model, revert back to more traditional playoffs, that could be a possibility. And that would mean more playoff, home playoff games, um, no buys to the playoffs, because I think we're at a point now <clears throat> we don't necessarily need that. It was always done to, to at least let us know that we'd have one local team in the playoffs yep. to help with ticket sales, and that's yep. part of a growing elite. But I do believe in the future um, you will – we will investigate it. And, and I think we believe there are some benefits if we can continue to maintain that event style thing. And, you know, this year we'll run two events because we're going to have championship weekend followed by the clash and the clash will be a really good opportunity for us to not only test the Quebec city market, Mm -hmm. but also test that event as maybe a future event in the CBL for years to come. And on top of that, you will still have a club team participating in the Americas tournaments. That we are we are revisiting that as well, and, okay. and I'll tell you why. Um, one, the, the way that it's run and operated is a bit bit difficult. The timing is very difficult. Yes, we don't get yeah. access to any of our best players, no. and I don't think we are happy losing. Uh, and that's not to say that <laughs> no, the players, I, but I get it. you know, yeah. if we're going to commit, we want to commit knowing we can potentially win. And based on the fact that our players are, you know, 90% of them are back playing overseas, it really reduces our pool. Um, Not to say the guys that that have played aren't great. They're great, but they just don't have that, that long time playing together and they're put together. And it's a high, it's a tough places to play when you're going over to Puerto Rico and Mexico and and Nicaragua. Um, So that is still up in the air that likely we won't comment on for some time, but I think, Mm -hmm. Our eyes are open to the fact what to that, you know, we really enjoyed it. We didn't have the success on the court that we would have liked. Um, we were able to help establish Calgary having an mm-hmm. event there. We were yeah. able to help establish Brampton by bringing this year's BCLA there. So it really served our purposes. Are we at the point where we want to continue or maybe we want to take a step back and take a breath and then reevaluate it? And I think it's probably the latter. Uh, are you going to make your way out to Calgary here anytime soon? That's the plan. I keep looking at my schedule and realize <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to make it to all the places. I want to make it to. <laughs> I uh, but, uh, you know, Calgary has done tremendously well, certainly on pace to, you know, be hosting a playoff game, but I mean, anything can happen in yeah. this league at yeah. any time. We know that we've seen that. Um, I, I really enjoy coming to Calgary. Uh, the fan base has been incredible. The, the the venue affords itself to be loud, right? Mm-hmm. The low ceilings. Uh, the team has played really well at home. The games have been exciting. It's a great cross-section of, of the city when I go there, it, you know, it, and, and it's great to see our local owners that have, you know, come in and really taken a chance on us to be successful. I think that's important. I know the players are really enjoying themselves there. It's a great community to be a part of. So, yes, I, I hope to make it back out there, hopefully for a playoff game in the future. I like it. Mike, thanks so much for the time today. I love the conversation. It was nice to be able to sit down and, and really get deep in on the league. It's It's been a success so far here in Calgary. No reason to think it won't, but I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Mike Morielli, he is the commissioner, co-founder of the CEBL. Um, and I loved it. I mean, these are the conversations I came back to do, uh, the, the deep ones. Uh, interesting that, you know, 
I mentioned, you know, it's Steve Nash. I was going to say Rick Nash. It was not Rick Nash that got basketball going again in Canada. It was Steve Nash. But he mentions Vince Sanity, and I get that. I, I fully get that. But there's no doubt that this, this country has become a basketball nation, men's and women's, in the last two decades. Uh, Mike, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Okay, Stores are closed because it's the middle of summer now. They will reopen a little in a couple months here, but you can always go online 24 7 ski seller snowboard.com. All right. Uh, we're going to spend some time taking a look at some of the National Hockey League news and notes. And a lot of it has not yet happened, but I do have to ask Jack. We've been kind of tied up talking basketball for the last 45 minutes or so. Has anything transpired that we missed? Nothing crazy. No. Okay. Okay. Nothing crazy. All right. Uh, so we did start off and we may as well throw that up. Um, Taylor Hall has been traded along with Nick Foligno to the Chicago Blackhawks for a couple of prospects. Uh, I defer to uh, some of the younger guys who will have a better handle on the prospects. It it feels to me like salary dump. Uh, are you hearing anything different out there? No, nothing really different. Just, yeah, salary dump. So I think Boston's at 10 and a half million now. Okay. So they got Bertuzzi. Bergeron, Krejci, and Orlov. Right. And, and, big free agents. And Swayman. Yeah, and Swayman, and Swayman. as well. So, um, now is Krejci coming back? I don't know. I was trying to look and find that while you guys were talking. There's much on him. I think Bertuzzi's probably their... Bertuzzi would be the one, uh, you know, obviously they bring back Bergeron. Yeah. Um, and I think they want to bring back Swayman. I don't think they're done. I don't think $10 million is enough to do what they want to do. No. Um, my curiosity is now in the Chicago Blackhawks and hearing whether or not they intend to uh, keep Taylor Hall or if they're going to flip him. I think Taylor Hall still has some value in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But to your point earlier, um, maybe you start. You know, it's never a bad thing. He's been a first overall pick. He can walk Bedard through it and, you know, come the trade deadline, you can flip him and get something for him. There's some value in that too. So, um, again, we watch with great um, interest. Um, what's going on with the locals? So as we know, um, right now, we can count on one hand the players that uh, don't want to be here, the players that might not want to be here, and the players that uh, aren't going anywhere. Not going anywhere, it's pretty simple. Uh, Huberdeau in that contract is very restrictive. I would suggest that Kadri in his contract is very restrictive. Markstrom in his contract are very restrictive. So I, I'm not openly challenging anybody i'm not openly uh, mocking anybody the idea of a rebuild with those three players you know i suppose you can do a modified rebuild around but i i think you'd want to be rid of those um buyouts and and uh you know what it would take to get other people to take that is just too restrictive at least in my opinion um we talked about this last week assuming you are moving to Foley and Hannafin, those seem to be the rock solid ones that everybody agree are absolutely on the go. What are you getting back? Are you getting back bodies that fit back into your lineup or are you trying to replace Noah Hannafin with a younger Noah Hannafin? Are you taking to Foley out who was your leading scorer and your leading goal getter and, and trying to bring back in a guy with a, a already proven NHL scoring pedigree? I don't know. Um, it would seem to me that to do that, you would almost be doubling back down on what you, you're the situation you find yourself in. Lindholm is the one that, you know, again, and I, I, I think it was two and a half months ago I did, or Boomer did our show 
Um, and we were debating about whether or not, you know, you bring back your number one center. Um, if not him, then whom? Uh, th- this is all of a sudden going to become a, a division with a couple of teams, three teams uh, that are really thick up the middle. Uh, Vegas, uh, assuming that that L.A. is very serious about Pierre-Luc Dubois and going out and getting him, they'll be good up the middle. Edmonton will be good up the middle. Um, you, you know, you don't have a bona fide number one. Kadri can play center for you, sure. And if you keep Backlund, and, and you might not if you get rid of Lindholm, um, all of a sudden you have some very big gaping holes uh, right down your center's position. And it, it's a league that's built around that position. It's it's a league that, while has 32 teams, I think we would all agree does not have 32 number one centers. Um, so it's not like you can go out and easily replace that position. Uh, but you may have to. Um, you know, Backlund, who is up tonight for the King Clancy Award. Um, boy, oh boy. Uh, I was very comfortable from what I was told and heard on Friday that Backlund remains in a waiting and seeing um, posture. There are no shortage of media people who have already put him out the door. There's a couple that have said he's been offered the captaincy. Um, again, I'll, I'll defer back to the domino in this. And the domino is Lindholm. I think if Lindholm stays... Uh, and Hannafin and Toffoli go, it would not surprise surprise me at all. Yeah. You know, th- this is like being a weatherman in San Diego. You know, it's a 50% chance of being really nice or a 50% chance of being nice. We're covering all of our bases here. But I think if Lindholm stays, you know, Backlund stays, you're, you're, you're going to try and get players that can help them right now and try to get you over the hump. Then you have a decision if Lindholm doesn't want to come back. Um, and with all the other players, are you loading up on draft picks? Are you loading up on at young assets? Uh, this draft being as deep as it is leads me to believe that the teams, Arizona, Chicago, um, the teams with a plethora of draft picks are going to cherry pick what they get. I mean, Sean Dersey was a nice pickup for the uh, Coyotes for a second round pick. It really, really was. Um, but are, you know, what's going to be thrown out? Are you going to have a whole lot of teams that say, yeah, we're really excited. We'll move you next year's first round pick or we'll move you next year's second round pick or whatever. Are they, you know, are they punting on, and I don't, I'm not even going to begin to guess what next year's, um, draft is going to be, what it's going to look like. Um, I am comfortable in one thing and one thing only that Craig Conroy is going to act. I do not believe that this is going to be a quiet summer by any stretch of the imagination uh, for the Calgary Flames. Um, will it be what you want it to be? Maybe not. Will it be what he wants it to be or she wants it to be? Probably not. Um, you know, that is the one thing that became incredibly apparent over the weekend, um, that there are, are, hard, are, are camps, just absolute camps of – Perfect time to rebuild, blow it up, burn it to the ground. We've never done this. Let's do this. Um, that's the only prudent way to go. And then the other camp would be, oh, my God, what have we done? Why is everybody leaving us? Um, I, 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 Conroy will act. Um, but whether or not it's successful, I think time will tell. Some other things from around the league. A um, lot of attention, obviously, and Conroy's one of them on the new GMs. I, I know that in Toronto, 
everybody's kind of looking at Brad Tree Living. What is he going to do? Michael Nylander, what's that deal going to look like? Matthews, what's going on there? Um, you know, he's right in the eye of the storm. He knows that. He's he's publicly said that. He's in the snake pit. Um, but a lot of people are, are connecting him to um, the Calgary Flames. That's easy math, right? Like, you were there, so, you know... We saw him make some deals with Arizona in his tenure here, the the organization he used to be. And um, it's an easy call to make to Craig Conroy. He just worked with him for the last nine years. Of course, you're going to call him. Um, could there be something there? Possibly. Um, I, I also, I mean, look at Pittsburgh. What's Pittsburgh going to do? Um, you know, they're going through some, you know, obviously a major shakeup on top. And, and Kyle Dubas is there. So everybody in Toronto is kind of curious about what Dubas is going to do. Vancouver remains an interesting team for a lot of reasons. Uh, not necessarily a, a brand new GM, but a younger, or a less experienced GM, or however you want to say it. He, Alvin hasn't been there uh, as long as others. Uh, now, Kevin Dayoff has really been the only general manager the Winnipeg Jets have ever known. There's a lot of attention on him. There's a lot of attention on Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, LA seems to have been the destination from the get-go. A lot of hot air today about Montreal being back in. If you remember when he was first acquired in the line, a trade um, with Columbus, that it almost became a, a fait accompli that uh, Dubois was going to end up in Montreal when it was all said and done, when, it, when the RFA year started to, to kind of run out. Um, we'll see competent uh, centerman. Sure. Number one centerman. I don't think he is, but uh, you know, you can certainly run him out there in, in situations that require a top end centerman. Another centerman got moved over the weekend is Ryan Johansson. He ended up in, in Colorado. Um, Nashville appears to be the team that if you're looking for a team that's burning it to the ground, that's Nashville, right? Yeah. I think they're, they're going to, they're not done. They're going to get rid of some more pieces here and and they're going to burn it to the ground and Barry Trotz is going to start all over again. Can't help but see that. So that brings us to Eric Carlson then. Eric Carlson now has spoken and and Eric Carlson wants to go someplace and win and Eric Carlson, you know, knows his days in San Jose are certainly, um, you know, limited, numbered. But who the hell takes that contract? Like that... That is a contract. Um, uh, if you think he is the missing piece, and that really was kind of the conversation the Oilers were having at one point last year. Was Eric Carlson the missing piece? Could Eric Carlson get them to the promised land? They never did it. They would have to have had to have moved heaven and earth to get there. Um, you know, I, I look at, at, at the one team and it, and it's, is really poor planning on my part because I'm talking about Eric Carlson and I'm going to talk about a team that really would have nothing to do with Eric Carlson, I don't think. But the one team in the entire National Hockey League that has my interest and they, they extended their captain and they're waiting on reacquiring D'Angelo at half the price, it's Carolina. Because Carolina is a good hockey club. They are a good hockey club. But why aren't they a great hockey club? And what are they missing? And I don't think it's Eric Carlson. I really don't think it's Eric Carlson. I think it's it's more punch up up front. Uh, and maybe they get that with some of their, uh, you know, Svechnikov being healthy again. I don't know if Pacioretty's coming back. Well, he wouldn't. He's, I think he's a free agent anyway. Um, but Carolina is a team that really intrigues me into what they do in all of this. Um, 
does an Eric, you know, who needs an Eric Carlson? Who needs points from the back end? Um, you know, would Florida look at jettisoning dollars? Is that something that Florida, I mean, Montour got them some points. Um, you know, I, I don't, do they have a, you know, a number one point guy? Uh, you know, could Carlson go there? I, I don't know. I, I think you're, I think you're stuck with Eric Carlson. Um, not stuck. You'll, they'll move him. I just, unless I'm missing something, Jack, I just don't know where he lands. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking about it as well. If you're Edmonton, would you move nurse to get Carlson? Throw in like a sweetener. Cause you feel like you're paying nurse too much. Yeah. Maybe, but I, if you're San Jose, I mean, what's the sweetener? Yeah, it'd have to be. So the problem with a team like Edmonton is the sweetener really isn't your first round pick anymore, right? Because yeah. your first round pick's going to be in the thirties, in the third, well, in the twenties, right? Um, unless you get a third team involved, yeah. And then you get a lot of, you know, you get some dollars kept and things like that. Though he will land somewhere. I like, I I know Eric Carlson's going somewhere, but it's not, it's not so straightforward to me. And I'm also, what are you getting? What what are you getting? Is he a defender or is he a rover? Rover for sure. Right? So, you know, he'll bring you some offense. Good Lord, he had 100 plus points this year. But are you trusting him in the last minute of a game? <clears throat> I don't know. It is tough. I mean, what's his cap at 11, five? Yeah. Four more years? Three more? Four more. Four more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, once you start, once those words come off your lips and you say them out loud, man, it's hard to, like, I just, there's going to be some sort of gymnastics to get that done. I don't know. I don't know. Does Florida make sense to you? Yeah, a little bit, I think. If they could move, if they could move some, if they can, and they've got guys that you're going to take, right? Yeah. He's out there. Um, the goal, the other one that we don't talk about is Hellebuck. Yeah. And I think of all of them, I, I, I know people say, oh, what are you waiting for? Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm waiting for Hellebuck. Because I think Hellebuck's a game changer for somebody out there. Yeah, I think like a team like Pittsburgh, they need a goalie. But is he too old for them? How is Pittsburgh going to stay? I guess they have to, right? I think they're Because they got committed. the big three. They, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. Yeah. And they've got the cap. I think they got like 22 million in cap this summer. Uh, they don't have, they have the Smith under contract. Jari's a free agent. So I kind of look at them as, you know, Jari's been good when he's healthy, but. What about Buffalo? Who's Buffalo got in net? They got kids. Yeah. They got kids. But do you speed the process up and go out and get a, you know, you jump in a Hellebuck? Because you're, you know, you're going to have to give Hellebuck term. You know yeah. that, right? Yeah. And you're about to give term to Power and a whole, you know, Cousins and a whole bunch of these other, you know, young guys that you got over there, right? Mm-hmm. He might be a little bit older on the curve than than your than your young guys, but you yeah, know. I could see Buffalo. I mean, are they ready to like go all in and 
make the don't you think so don't you think they're like new jersey's been the last little while yeah at some point that way some point you gotta kick get kicked in the ass right yeah you know and go i mean there's another team could jersey could jersey go after hellebuck it you know part of that too depends on how you want to use hellebuck do you want to ride hellebuck or can you pair hellebuck up with somebody are you prepared to pay you know hellebuck i'm just grabbing a number out of the air eight million dollars a year i don't know let's just you know it's going to be something significant right are you prepared to tie up 12 to 14 million dollars in your goaltending old old thinking is no right but we are in this era now of tandems you know yeah what did you think of hill's contract now is that fine is that official yet i believe it was okay so two years 4.9 a year Seems like a massive overpay. He won your Stanley Cup. He did. But, it, 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 you know, I, I and who did I compare him to all? The, I compared that goaltending to the, the 2010 Chicago and Philadelphia, yeah. Leighton and Niemi. And Chicago walked away from Niemi. And I'm not suggesting he's a good Calgary kid. I think he's a good goaltender. But Aiden Hill was bouncing around this year. I didn't know who he was. You didn't know? I I knew he was, <clears throat> he was, there's a couple of them like that. They had a whole team of them like that. Uh, but they're, they're too good to be in the American Hockey League, but they've not taken the step yet to be a starter. And now Aiden Hill, I think you have to give him the net in, in oh, Vegas, sure. yeah, don't you? Sure. I'm assuming Robin Lehner's not coming back. Is that the assumption yeah, we're making? Yeah, sounds like he's done. And then who was their other goalie that, the young guy that played, and I don't know if he played this year. Oh, Logan Thompson. Logan Thompson, yeah. Logan Thompson, right? So I'm assuming he'll be back. Yeah. And again, don't forget, Jonathan Quick was on that team. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know. And then uh, the former Flame draft pick. Uh, Edmonton Oiler and uh, Winnipeg Jet. Why am I blank? He started for them for crap's sake. Oh, and the... Yeah, he did. Brassois. Laurent Brassois. Yeah, he started in the playoffs. Right? Laurent Brassois started in the playoffs. There's the, and, and oh, by the way, would you like Dan Vladar? Because you can have Dan Vladar. It, it, I, again, I don't know if it's unprecedented this week, but man, the, there's a lot of things on the board right now. You know, I'm I'm fascinated to know what the end result for Krug was. I don't think Krug was going to Philadelphia to stay in Philadelphia. That didn't make any sense. If Philly's getting rid of some of their valuable assets, they weren't bringing in Krug to keep them. They were going to flip them. But he doesn't wave. And I think, I don't know if that is. I'm assuming that's related a little bit to D'Angelo. I'm not sure what's holding that up. If if that's not, I mean, they're another young def, uh, general manager in Briere, you know, I'm assuming one's connected to the other. If not, you know, look out. How's he going to be? Uh, how are people in Philadelphia going to feel about him? He's tried to make two deals and neither one could get across the line, consummated. That's not a good look, right? That's not a good look. And going back to uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yes, sir. Uh, Frank said this morning, Columbus is in the mix. I'm sorry, the team that dealt him? Yes. God love them. They just won't go away, will they? You know, we can't, you know, Johnny Gaudreau's going to Columbus. What? <laughs> um, well, I, 
because he had uh, didn't Frank have uh, Kekalainen on today? Yarmo. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and he Yarmo said well, they were going to draft a center. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I yeah, I get it. They've got the room, they've got the space, and everything like that. Um, you don't think they trade Line A back to Winnipeg, do you? Know? <laughs> Uh, we'll just do a do-over, a do-over. I, part of this is driven by a really poor free agent class, right? There's yeah, the, very bad. You, you know, at this point, you, you can almost, is it safe to say that Orlov is almost the Yeah, he's the, the best, best defenseman for sure. Or best piece. Yeah, maybe even the best piece. That's why the Flames are in such a good position with Hannafin to deal him and get something good. Yeah, yeah. But as you and I are learning here, what's good. That's true. <laughs> right. Is good getting a 23 year old defenseman and starting over again, or is good getting a couple of picks in this year's draft? Yeah. Uh, do you not, do you, you do all of these shows, you do ours and you, pardon me, you do the barn burner ones you do, you know, you've seen the DFO ones and everything like that. This whole conversation about rebuild it is a moot point as long as you have Huberto, Kadri, and Markstrom, right? Yeah. It, it can't be a true rebuild, and you can't waste them. So you're stuck where Calgary's always stuck, which is kind of in between, yeah. right? You kind of got to go for it, except that you did go for it, and now mm. going for it got you nowhere. Yeah, I look at a team like Dallas, though. Yeah, if they Jamie Ben Tyler Sagan, they've gotten older. Yep, big contracts. Yep, and they've brought in younger pieces, and they're a competitive team again. Yep. So that's kind of what I. That's the model. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good model, but I mean, they've made. I think that the the one thing I like about Dallas that I don't think Dallas ever gets enough credit for is how they draft defensemen. Yeah. And that's the one. Calgary had a nice run. That 2016 draft, they stole Shillington and Anderson. And all due respect to, you know, if, if Shillington, you know, God bless him, if he if he could have played this year, would have taken another step and and they'd be good. But then there's this drop off again, right? Who are you waiting for? And I've said this for a long time. It's Jeremy Poirier, and he's not even ready for the NHL. That's they've got to address that need, but that can't be addressed overnight unless Hannafin goes and gets you two young defensemen. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but if it was that easy, we'd all do it. <laughs> if it was that easy, we would all do it. Um, just a, a sense of what's going to happen this week. Um, we have um, Peter Marr in on Wednesday. So Pete will join us. Um, Wednesday's is day one of the draft, Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Used to be the weekend, you know. <laughs> Used to be a Saturday-Sunday thing. It was easier for me to keep track of it then. Uh, so we will talk to Pete, and, and we're hoping to connect with Boomer that day, see if we can get Boomer uh, from down in Nashville. Eric Dehatchek will join us on Friday. No show on Monday. No show on Monday. Um, I think that's pretty much going to do it for us today. Uh, we will be back, as I said, on Wednesday with Peter Marr. Before we go home, a couple things. One, we want to say good luck tonight to Michael Backlund as he is up for the King Clancy Award um, as for his work on and off the ice up with, against Saunders Lee and Darnell Nurse. Uh, never easy to handicap these ones. Um, I'm assuming those guys do great work in their communities as well. So we want to wish them uh, the best of luck. As well, uh, out at, 
uh, Atco Field on on Saturday, and it seems to me we've talked a lot about sport in this city, and we talk about a lot of things. We had Marco Carducci on, and we, you know, Tommy Wilden Jr. has been on the barn burner. I just want to take a moment now, Jack. Have you been to a Cavalry game? No, I haven't, but I want to go. You should. Yeah, go just to me for the foot soldiers. That little supporters corner, well, little, but that supporters corner, the chanting, the songs, the smoke, the energy. God bless you guys. You're refreshing. It is so, I mean, I'm loving the, you were at a, you were at a a CEBL game. You were at a surge game. Hmm. It's loud. It's fun and everything like that. But the foot soldiers take it to a different level uh, with their commitment, with their, just their creativity. Um, Man. Just, I don't know why, I mean, again, was there on Saturday and watching, and I just, I, I chuckled, I laughed, it's entertaining, it's fandom, it's cool, it did not exist in this city before um, the 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 P, uh, PDL uh, and the pathway that Tommy set up, and, and they're a legacy to that, and they've come over to the Cavalry beautifully, but if you're into fans having fun and sports being fun, and I kind of am, I just wanted to give them a, a, a shout out because they they were a blast. And finally, uh, we mentioned it last week, but if you're into golf and you want to help a good cause, uh, by all means, we have uh, Tee It Up for Pets coming up August 24th. It's Speargrass Golf. It's a charity golf tournament for Parachutes for Pets. Just go to the website. You can log on there. You can sign up. And you and your friends can come out to what is going to be a great afternoon, morning and afternoon of golf because it starts in the morning, but a great morning and afternoon. Thanks to Mike Morielli uh, for joining us, the commissioner, co-founder of the CEBL, uh, as well the uh, uh, surge play on Wednesday night at Winsport, coming off a uh, win last night, 93-88 in Vancouver, at home at Winsport on Wednesday uh, Barn Burner and all of the other stuff from the Nation Work Network is going to be down there. Uh, Ryan Pike, uh, I think I they did a roundtable. We've we've uh, it's in the ether and in the system as well. So lots of coverage from Nashville coming up. We will be there every step of the way to see what the Calgary Flames do. Thanks to Jack for doing an outstanding job of producing this show. Thanks to you for logging in. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. Have a great day, everybody. There's two sides to every...